want you to open to Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, as you turn there, if we could get on the screen, we've got a theme verse that we read every week. It's out of Ephesians. Our series is Better Together. Everybody say, Better Together. And, uh, and the, the idea comes out of here, Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 19. We got it there on the screen. Uh, let's read it together right now. So you Gentiles, oh, okay, all right, all right, you weren't ready. Are we all on the same page now? Here we go. This early service, I think, this is why we got coffee in the hallway, by the way. I know sometimes you come to the early service, we're still waking up. And uh, we're about a half a step behind, but that's okay. We got it now. So you got it. It's right here. One, two, three, go. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now, Ephesians chapter 3, if you'll turn there, it's uh, just the very next page if you opened your Bible to it. And this is what it says. Uh, in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow, what a powerful verse. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord's hand over his word today. Lord, I, I thank you, mighty God, for your word. I just ask, Lord, that even right now your Holy Spirit would just uh, be present in this place, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that perceives what your spirit is speaking. And Lord, I ask that an anointing would rest upon me, that under the unction, under the authority of your spirit, I would preach as I ought to, mighty God. And so I ask you to help us today to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is, uh, you know, if you've been tracking along with us in the book of Ephesians, we've come to an interesting point in our passage. You know, Ephesians chapter 3, we're right at the halfway point of the book. Uh, we've, uh, and if you've just been joining in the series, by the way, I'd encourage you to go back. We've been talking in previous weeks what it means to be seated together with Christ. And really, the idea of better together, everybody say better together. The idea of better together is twofold. First of all, we know that we are better together, right? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm better with you. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm, I'm better with you too. You know, that's true. 
the Bible says that we are like living stones, that we're being fitted together. Uh, we talk very often about being the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ, but uh, I shared a few weeks ago, every verse that you'll see in Scripture, you'll notice that you alone are not the temple of God. It's always we together are. You understand we're all a part of a body. It's like you might be a finger, you might be a mouth, you might be an eye in the body of Christ, but you're useless if you're not connected to the body. And so we're better together. There's no doubt about that. And what's incredible in, in, in the other half of the better together is all of that's made possible because we are together with Christ. We have been seated together with Christ. And we've talked about how our position, our authority, our power, our inheritance, uh, every blessing, it comes from that place of being seated together with Jesus Christ. And what ends up happening is here in chapter 3, you'll notice, I mean, if, you, if you've ever taken the whole scope of Scripture, you'll notice that chapter 3 kind of feels strange. Like chapter 1 and 2, we're seated with Christ. Chapter 4 is dealing with actually walking out our faith and being a witness. Chapter 5 and 6 is dealing a lot with spiritual warfare. And that's where we're going with this thing. But chapter 3 is almost like, it's odd. It's almost a little out of place. But let me tell you what I think was happening here. How many of you know what a praise break is? You know what a praise break is? It's one of these moments where you're going about your business, and uh, I've known of a couple preachers that, uh, you know, they'll get so excited in their preaching, they, they'll stop for a praise break, and they make everybody stop and just start worshiping Jesus right in the middle of the, of the preaching of the Word. It's just like, oh, I'm just overwhelmed, and so we need to worship Jesus. And that's kind of what Paul does. You'll notice he's going through, and wow, we're seated with Christ, and we've been made one new man, and now I've got an inheritance, and wow, God, you're so good. Thank you, Jesus. And you'll notice Notice that he pauses at the beginning of chapter 3 and he's thanking God. Thank you for allowing me to be a minister of your gospel. And then he says, uh, it's very interesting, he's acknowledging who he is in light of Jesus. Because he, he knows, I, I mean, in fact, I'll just I'll mention it in verse 8 there. He says that I'm the least of the saints. You know what Paul recognizes? And I hope that all of us recognize this as well. How many of you have been blessed by God? We've all been blessed by God. How many of you understand you don't deserve the blessing of God? Okay, some of you feel like, oh, no, I deserve it. I'm a good person. No, you're not. None of us deserve the goodness of God. That's why it's grace. That's why he has mercy on us because God is good even when we were sinners. He loved us. He gave to us. He blessed. We deserve nothing. But the Lord loves us so much that he blesses us, that he gives to us, that he saves us, that he, that he pours out on us. And, uh, and what Paul, I just find it so interesting. You would think that, that somebody who's walked with the Lord for a number of years would become more and more confident in their role with the Lord. But what I find very interesting about Paul is uh, you'll notice that he actually says... In fact, in one of his first books, in 1 Corinthians 15, he calls himself the least of the apostles. That's in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. By that point in time, he'd been in ministry for about 15 years, 15, 17 years, and he says, I am the least of the apostles. But about five, six years later, in Ephesians, this passage, he says, I'm the least of the saints. You'll notice that he's 
decreasing in value as time goes on. He's like, yeah, I'm an apostle, but I'm the least of the apostles. Yes, I'm a, I'm a saint, I'm a believer, we're all saints, but he's like, I'm the least of the saints. But what's amazing is right at the end of his ministry, eight or nine years after that, in fact, it's about 33 years in his ministry, uh, in 1 Timothy, he writes these words in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, I am the chief of all sinners. Paul had this increasing view. It's like the, the closer he got to the Lord, the more he realized he was unworthy. The closer he got to the Lord, he realized how great and how mighty and how magnificent God Almighty was. And in light of that, I am nothing. And God, I deserve nothing. The fact that you use me, the fact that you've saved me, the fact that you bless me, God to you be all the glory, because I deserve none of it. And so, he begins to pray. And that's where our passage begins today, is he begins to pray. He begins to pray for us. And to summarize the prayer, it's really about God's presence. I didn't know what to call this message today. Maybe you can call it levels of God's presence, or... God's manifest presence. I want to talk about growing in the presence of God. How many of you know there's, there's more to be had in the presence and the Spirit of God than what we have right now? How many of you had a sense of His Holy Spirit, even in worship and in our prayer times? I mean, I, I felt God in the place. But I know there's more. I know there's greater. I know we can go deeper. Now, let me give you a little bit of history. On July 8th, of 1741, there was a man of God by the name of Jonathan Edwards. How many of you have ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? You ought to look him up if you've not heard. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor, and he was invited to preach in a small church in Enfield, Connecticut. I've never been to this place. I'd love to go one day. But uh, he wasn't expected to preach, and so he had actually brought with him uh, uh, one of his sermons that he'd preached in his own church. He preached this sermon in his church, and there was very little response. In fact, most people remember it as being a, a pretty dead, lifeless type of service. But he's invited to preach, and this is the sermon that he ha had on hand in Enfield, Connecticut. And so he gets behind the pulpit, and he began to preach his sermon. The title of that sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was a very seeker-sensitive kind of message, you can tell. And, uh, and it, it, it was, I mean, it really, it was exactly what you'd expect it to be. And Edwards was not an animated preacher. The, uh, people say that he actually would speak with his face right in his notes. That he would stand and he would read his sermon line by line, almost in a monotone fashion. And he began to read through his sermon that day. And unlike the first time he preached that message, that day God's manifest presence showed up. What began happening is as he would talk about heaven, people would literally begin to see the sky open above them and they would see heaven. They would see angels. They would have open visions of God's glory. But as he would begin to exhort about hell, people would literally see as if the ground was opening beneath them and they were going to free fall into the pit of hell. Very, 
very intense. In fact, you can look, and um, the church today isn't even standing, but they do have the pews, and they have some of the pillars that stood in that building. And what's amazing is you can go and you can see there's actually nail marks, there's claw marks in the pews and in the pillars because people were having these visions of heaven and were, or hell, and they were so terrified they literally dug their fingers into the wood all around them, into the pillars. And, and there's a number of times, you can read the sermon still today, there were a number of times where Edwards had to stop preaching because the people were groaning. And they were crying. They would moan throughout the entire message and literally begin to scream out at Edwards, what must we do in order to be saved? Of course, at the end, Edwards gave the invitation. They gave the opportunity to receive the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And most historians consider this to be the dramatic beginning of what we call the first great awakening. The great awakening that swept across the United States. And there were many others that, that God brought into this mighty revival. You may have heard names like George Whitfield or John and Charles Wesley. These were a part of that great revival at that same time in America. In, you'll, you'll hear names like Howell Harris and Daniel uh, Rowland in the Welsh Revival in Wales. You, you might have heard of Count Zinzendorf in the, the Moravians in Europe. And all at the same time, God began to just sweep the world in this mighty revival. The reason that I share that is all of these, all of these revivals, they experience such incredible manifestations of God's presence open visions. At times, Wesley would preach. In fact, they would talk about, they'd be in these revival meetings, and Wesley would preach his two to three hour sermons, which he was accustomed to doing. And he would be exalting the holiness of God. And there's moments in, in his messages where people would be so overcome by the presence and the revelation of God that they would dismiss the meetings, and there would still be hundreds of people unconscious under the power of God laid out all throughout the stadium or all throughout the church. Many other individuals, they, in fact, I, I shared, I think, last week about how, how in that, that Methodist revival, and it was a part of this great awakening, they would, they would have moments of prayer and people would fall on the ground, and, and that was kind of a new phenomenon. That wasn't popular in the church in that day. Pentecostals weren't around yet. We didn't invent that. We didn't come up with that. But it was happening in those Wesley revivals. People would lay out under the ground, on the ground sometimes for hours. And they would wake up having had visions of heaven and seen angels and uh, incredible, incredible manifestations of God's presence. And what came out of this is really what I want to share today. They, they formed a theology about God's presence. And I agree with it, which is why I'm going to share with it. They talked about three levels of God's presence. The first level of God's presence, uh, if you're taking notes, so the first level of God's presence is what we would call essential presence. Everybody say essential presence. Essential presence is this sense that God is everywhere. He's always with us. He's always around us. And that's true. And that's why you can meet people. They don't want anything to do with the church. They don't want Jesus as their Lord. But uh, they'll make statements like, I, I go to the beach and I experience God. 
I go for a hike and I experience God. I sit on this mountain and I feel God. Uh, Nature is my church. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something like that? The reason that people feel that way is because there is an essential presence. I really do believe that you can go snorkeling and you can look at fish or you can see a whale or, or, or you can look at nature and trees and, and you really can experience God on some level. I really do believe that. The Bible in Romans talks about how, how nature bears witness to God. It's a constant testimony of who God is, which is part of the reason nobody is without excuse. You can look at creation and, and just realize it's common sense. There's a creator behind all of this. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Nature is constantly preaching and showing the characteristics of God. Sadly, most people don't move beyond that. You can experience God and you can see him, but there's no salvation. There's no indwelling. There's no relationship. There's no transformation if all you do is hug trees. You understand? You can acknowledge, wow, God, you're amazing. Look at the sun. Look at the stars. But if that's all the further you ever go in your pursuit of God, there's no salvation in that. That moves us into the second level of God's presence, and it's what we would call cultivated presence. Cultivated presence. That is the moment we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are filled with the Spirit of God, and then we grow to know the Lord. We walk with Him every day. And that's part of what Paul's prayer is about today. We're going to talk about cultivating the presence of God, practicing the presence of God, learning how to hear His voice. You understand, when you read the Bible, when you listen to the preaching of the Word, when we worship God, When you set aside time to pray, all of those things are cultivating your relationship with Jesus. We're growing to know Him. When we take time and we prophesy and grow in the gifts of the Spirit, we're cultivating the presence of God. When you're in a life group and you're doing life with one another and uh, learning things about God and learning things about yourself, all of those things help us cultivate God's presence in our life. But there's a third level of presence, and this is, this is where I really want to be, friend. And it's what we would call manifest presence. This was the theology of the Puritans. This is what Jonathan Edwards and, and John Calvin and, uh, and, and all of these men, they came up with this theology, and they'd, they'd have these moments where the glory of God would be so profound that people were having open visions and seeing angels and hours under the carpet. And it's like, what do we do with that? Because this is on a whole other level than anything that we've ever seen. It's what we today would call revival. But they called it manifest presence, or some would call it glory in the earth. You, you know what glory is, don't you? I mean, maybe, maybe, it's not just another word for amen. You know, maybe you grew up in a church where glory, you know, if you agree with the pastor, right? You just, you know, your grandpa said glory. Everybody say glory, glory. right? <laughs> Do you know what glory is? Let, let me give you, this is my definition This is theologically accurate, but here's my definition for the word glory. Glory is a physical manifestation of an attribute of God. Glory is a physical manifestation of of an attribute of God. 
So, for example, when God's healing virtue begins to break out, that's glory. When the weighty presence of God comes into a meeting and people are, are, are getting knocked out and the place looks like a battlefield, that's glory. When the conviction of the Holy Spirit grips people's hearts and they surrender their life to Jesus as Lord, that's glory. When people are weeping as the love of God begins to flood their heart and their life and their mind, that's glory. That's God's manifest presence. And guys, I'm just telling you what I want to begin to move into as a church body. I I definitely don't want to stay in essential presence. I know God's everywhere, but I don't want to just live with, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's around. You understand? I don't, I want to continue to cultivate, and I'm always going to be cultivating, no matter how mature we become, no matter how long we walk with the Lord, we're always going to be cultivating the presence of God. But guys, I'm contending for those moments of manifest presence where God's glory begins to show up, and it's beyond anything that we can, we can receive or anything that we, I mean, it's, it's indescribable when God begins to move this way. And you'll notice that Paul, he takes us through this journey, how we can cultivate and even move into these moments of manifest presence. In verse 14 he says, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is, this is part of the way that we're going to cultivate. Again, if you're taking notes, I, I, I don't know how you want to write this down. I don't know if this is point four or point one. But here's how we cultivate the presence of God. We need to dwell with God. We need to dwell with God. Everybody say dwell. I like that word. Dwell means to house permanently. It means to reside, it means to dwell, it means to inhabit. Not just on Sundays we're going to let God into our lives and the rest of the week, well, God, you just go do your own thing and I'm going to do my thing. That's not how it works. He comes to dwell with us. He wants to inhabit us forever. That's a big deal. Have you ever had guests over at your house? I mean, it's uh, my, my wife and I, we, we like to host all right. In fact, I've got... A few friends who are going to be coming over the next week. And, uh, you know, it's wonderful, man. The first day that they arrive, you're excited to show them around the island. And you're excited to show them around your house. And, uh, yeah, here's the story. And here's my plant. And, uh, you know, here's where everything is. And everybody know what I'm talking about. It's wonderful. And you, you'll, you'll stay up late at night just catching up because you haven't seen them for a while. Oh, and it's just so wonderful. But by about day four... Day five, I I don't know what your limit is. It's probably different for all of us. For some of you, it's day two, I don't know. And uh, But for some of us, it's like you'll have that moment where you walk into the house and whose shoes are these and why are they here? You go to the fridge and you'll notice there's, there's a box of food. This isn't my food, whose food is this? You go into the bathroom, you see hairs that don't belong to you. And that kind of stuff, you guys are laughing because you host, you know. And it's at those kinds of moments where it's like, okay, uh, the dwelling is over. It's, it's time for you to leave. 
And, and I know some of you are looking at me right now and you're judging me. You're thinking, Pastor, that's not very gracious. You should. But I, I, actually, I actually found a Bible verse to defend my position. Do you, you, watch this. Proverbs 25, 17. It says, don't visit your friends too often or too long. No, watch this. This is true. This is, I mean, I'm, this is verbatim out of Scripture. Lest they become sick of you and hate you. Proverbs 25, 17. So, don't overstay your welcome. Now, part of the reason that I share that is because Jesus comes to dwell forever. Jesus doesn't come and just, you know, hey, I like fish and bread, and so that's what's going to be in your fridge from now on. You walk in, you find his slippers by, you know, his sandals by the door. No, 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 no. Jesus takes over everything. In fact, Paul even goes on. We read the verse just a moment ago. Part of what he does is it says, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts, dwell forever through faith, being rooted and grounded. You know what rooted and grounded is? Those are foundations. You know what that tells me? That when Jesus comes in, that doesn't just mean like now we're going to watch his TV shows and now we're going to do his deal and eat his way and, 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 and you know, he's going to decorate the way that he, no, no, no. He is going to level your house completely. And he's going to go all the way down to the foundation. I don't even like the foundation stones you have in this place. He's talking about rooted and grounded in love. That means Jesus is going to start from scratch in your life. And he's going to rebuild you and your dwelling place from the ground up. That's why he said to Nicodemus, you might remember, you must be born again. You're going to start all over. He was telling a religious church person, no, we're going to start over. We're going to start from the beginning here. Oh, my goodness. Guys, that's what it is to dwell. You want to begin to cultivate the presence of God? If we want to dwell together, we're better together, right? We want to dwell. You're going to have to let Jesus come in and take over everything. It's his house now. You're his dwelling place. His heart, your heart is, is his heart. Your life, your mind, your, your everything is his. You know what that foundation is? He said it there, we're rooted and grounded in. Who's reading it? Love. Everybody say, love. We need to, we need to love. We need to be a people that receive the love of Jesus, and we need to be a people that love one another. I mean, you might wonder, why Why in the world would I embarrass myself and go evangelize? Love. Because we love people. Why would we have multiple services? Boy, that's tiring. I don't want to have three services on Sunday. Well, we're going to do it because of love. Why, why would Jesus die for me? Love love because he loves you and we're to love people in fact Jesus said that the way that people would know that you were we were, were his disciples is by the way that we love one another John 13 35 
That means, listen, friend, that doesn't mean that we'll never disagree. I want you to understand that. We will have disagreements. What that does mean, though, is when we have disagreements, you can't leave. You can't excommunicate. We're family, right? We're family. How many of you have siblings? How many of you have ever fought with your siblings? How many of you have ever thrown punches at your siblings? Okay, all right. But how many of you still love that stupid sibling, right? We do, don't we? That's your brother, right? That's your sister. And I don't, you're a dummy sometimes, but I, I love you. You're still a part of the family. And guess what? We're going to have disagreements, but because we're family, I don't always agree with you. And when you said that, that offended me. And uh, no, that was a dumb idea, but I still love you. I'm not going to leave. I'm I'm gonna, we're going to stay together in this thing. I mean, that's what it is to be the family of God. And I'm telling you, church, if we could be a body that loved that way, oh, I'm telling you what God would do in this place, we would become literally a dwelling place for God. It's part of the way. Oh, I've got a whole theology on unity. I just don't have time to go through it tonight, uh, today. But we, we, we need to love. We need to love. Love one another. The, the second thing that Paul says, and we're talking about now cultivating the presence of God in verse 18, he says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge. This is part of the way we're going to grow in our cultivated presence and grow into manifest presence. You're taking notes, write this down. You can experience God. Everybody say experience God. When it says that we may comprehend with all the saints, what is that, that love, that great length and depth and width and height? Uh, he's talking about that word comprehend means to receive experientially. Not just an understanding. Oh, I can quote the verse. I can sing the song, Jesus loves me. There's a big difference between having a knowledge that God loves you and experiencing the love of God. Anybody who's received it knows exactly what I'm talking about. I know Jesus loves me because I've experienced it. Because I've felt his embrace because I've, I've received it. I was praying that way this morning. I pray that way all the time, especially as we come into these, these holiday seasons, man. Christmas, Easter. It's, it's like we've got this idea, oh yeah, Jesus was crucified. There's a lot of people that have that head knowledge. But there's many fewer people who've actually experienced the saving power of Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? This is why I pray. This is why we take time to, to lay hands on people. This is why I'll pause. I'll, I'll take moments out of my, my preaching to, to, to pray corporately and do these sorts of things. Why? Because I want people to have the opportunity not just to hear about God or sing about God or have a theology about God. All of that's important. I want people to experience God. That's what we make room for. It's part of what we're cultivating in this place. That's how we're going to move into manifest 
present because we experience it. A few years ago, I had an encounter with God. What was it? We were at a, at a, at a large gathering. It was uh, the Azusa Street 110-year 110-year uh, anniversary of that great revival in Azusa Street. And uh, thousands, tens of thousands gathered together to, uh, to pray and to seek the Lord and ask, Lord, do that again. And that night, now I don't have these kinds of experiences often, but that night I was woken up by what I believe was an angel. I had an individual come and, and hit me in the side. I woke up and, and had a, a brief dialogue with this angel began to explain to me, we were to get a, an arena, and we were to have a number of, of worship leaders and prophets and all of these come in, and it was going to be an all-day event, and we were going to do a crusade in South Dallas. And that's exactly what we did. And I had a dream attached to that. In the dream, we were in a church service, and the glory of God, the manifest presence of God was so tangible in that place. I remember I wasn't preaching, I wasn't praying, the worship team, nobody was doing anything. But the presence and power of God was so strong in the room. I knew that angels were ministering all across the room. I knew that the super acti supernatural activity of God was going on. And I remember being so overwhelmed. That I literally step outside of the, of the sanctuary, almost like, oh, <laughs> just like, have you ever been so overwhelmed by the love of God or the presence of God, you just feel like, I just might die right now. That's how I felt in that dream. And so I step outside, and I look around, and I see all of these banners and all of these posters. They don't got my face on it. It doesn't have a guest worship team or any of that stuff on it. All it says is experience God, encounter God. So that's what we called our crusade, Jesus Encounter. We had some big names. Eddie James came and led worship for us. We had Upper Room come and lead worship for us. We had, we had teams all throughout the day. It was an all-day event. Thousands of people came through there. Um, we had some great prophets and pastors and uh, some, of the, you know, some, some of the great leaders uh, uh, you know, in, in the present day. Not one of their names was put on a banner. All it said was, here's the address, Jesus Encounter. You know what? Thousands of people showed up. About killed my wife and I to, to put on that crusade. Uh, uh, we're going to have to do another one someday. Because Cindy Jacobs, she came up to us after the event was done. And she's like, God is honoring your obedience. And because you have been obedient, now the Lord is giving you an anointing for arena Christianity. And I'm like, that's wonderful, Cindy. Would have been nice to receive that anointing before we had about killed ourselves doing this crusade. But I received the word. We, we need to do one of those, church. We, we, I don't know. We'll do it here in Kona. We'll, do, we'll go to Oahu. I don't know. We'll, we're, we, need to, we need to do some crusade ministry. Hallelujah. My wife's with me. Hallelujah. I wish Rylan and Leah would have been with us during that time because uh, I'll tell you what my wife and I carried. Wow. But God showed up. People were healed. There was pastors who stayed in the ministry. They were going to quit. They were, I mean, we saw miracles that night. We saw people saved that night. People, people encountered Jesus. I'm sure if you went through, I, I, I bet nobody could tell you the message that I preached that night. Nobody could tell you the other pastors that were there or tell you, oh, these are the songs that we sang that night. But what we do remember, what people remember is that they encountered Jesus. 
That's what we need to contend for, church. That's what I'm believing for. We are going to grow and we're going to cultivate the presence of God in such a way that we're going to see Jesus encounter people. We're going to see God touch people. And, and just so you know, my heart still burns that same way. That's what I contend for right here. I, I don't want to just have cute, you know, cookie cutter services and we do this and it's got to be 23 minutes long and it's got to, no, 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 we're not doing that, man. We're just not. We see somebody in our church who's got cancer, we're going to pause everything and we're going to pray for that person who's got cancer. I'm just telling you, we're, we're going to do that kind of stuff. We're going we're gonna to take time. We're going to make room. Why? Because you imagine if we, if we pause for a moment. How often, ugh, I, I just get irritated, man, when I think about how people just try and rush God along. We're gonna, we got this five-minute block where this is where all the prayer happens. Right now, we got churches that are relegating all prayer ministry. Oh, if you want to have prayer, you got to come on this night. Oh, it's with this group. Oh, you need to schedule this meeting. Oh, it's on a tent outside of the service. Uh, we're not doing that, friend. We're going to take time. Because I, I, I just, if God wants to take over the whole service, and I preach nothing, hallelujah. Hallelujah. This last Sunday, we came in Sunday night, and I had a whole prayer set. I had supporting scriptures. I had a great prayer set. But I felt the Lord speak to me before we came into that meeting. Tonight, we just need to worship. Tonight we just need to honor the Lord. And that's all we did this last Sunday night is we just spent time in worship. And I praise God we've got a worship team that was willing to, okay, we'll double our set list if all we're going to do is worship. And that's what they did. And then we had a moment where we just shared testimony and just gave glory to Jesus. And uh, it was a wonderful time. We're going to do that, friend. The Lord speaks to us. We're going to make room. Now, I, I need to draw this to a close. Um, could I get my worship team actually to come back up? And here here's the last one. Oh, this is awesome. I already kind of alluded to it. In verse 19, it says this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's manifest presence right there, church. That's the third. You can be filled with the fullness of God. This is where we really begin to break into manifest presence. We break into the glory. When we walk in this level of fellowship, Look at what it says in verse 20. Most of you know this verse. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. I mean, can you imagine, guys, the Lord actually doing more than what you can imagine? That's what he said. Because I can imagine a lot, man. I can imagine limbs growing back. I can imagine I, I can imagine the glory of God and everybody's laid out under the power. I mean, I, I, got a, I got a pretty good imagination. He said he could do more than we could ask, think. The New Living Translation says, ask, think, or even imagine. That's big. But I want you to notice what it says. It says that we can be filled with the fullness of God. Now think about that. You're not just filled with your fullness. Have you ever eaten a lot? And boy, I'm full. But you imagine, you find a, a big man, right? A man who can eat a lot. And what would it take to fill him up? And that's what you got to eat. Because you're not filled with your fullness. You're filled with his fullness. Now imagine God. 
Here's my capacity. Here's what I can handle. You don't know why people fall on the ground sometimes when the presence of God touches them? Because I'm full, and I'm way more than full. This is more than I can handle. I mean, that's what it is. Because you're not filled with your fullness. You're filled with his fullness. In fact, John Wesley, I love what he said. He said in his commentary that being filled with the fullness of God is not just freedom from sin. It is full of all his light, all his love, all his wisdom, all his holiness, all his power, all his glory. Totally dominated, overwhelmed, nothing left of self. That's what it is to be filled with the fullness of God. Wow. Now what I want to do, come on, let's just stand all over this place. I want to pray for that fullness of God. I want to ask the Lord for His manifest presence to come, to fill us, to overwhelm us right now. I sure hope you're hungry for this, friend. I want to move beyond just, yeah, God's out there somewhere. No, I, I want to cultivate the presence of God dwelling in and with me. And to move even beyond that into manifest presence, these moments of glory where we are filled with the fullness of God Almighty. Come on, let's just begin to ask for it right now. Ask Him to fill you. Ask Him to, to baptize you afresh. Ask Him to fill you with His fullness even right now. Lord, we just cry out in this moment now. Lord, we ask You to fill us in this place. Lord, we want more than just a... We want more than just a, a, a hint of Your presence. We want more than just the, the knowledge, oh yes, You're out there and You can do this. God, we're asking for Your glory. We're asking for Your manifest presence. We're asking You to fill us Almighty God, fill us with your fullness. Lord, fill us to overflowing. Fill us, mighty God, with your love and with your wisdom and with your holiness. Oh, Lord, fill us with your glory, mighty God. Fill us with the attributes of heaven even now, Lord. Almighty God, we cry out. We cry out, Lord Jesus, for your manifest presence. Show up in this place beyond the theology, beyond the a verse of scripture we quote or a song we can sing. Lord, let us experience you. Let us have encounters with your Holy Spirit. Oh, we pray. Oh, we pray. In Jesus' name. Oh, in Jesus' name. Come on. Come on. Let's go after it.
I, I want to take a moment. I want to do something. We've still got some time in our service. If you're here and you say, you know what, I want, I want hands laid on me. And I want to believe for the Lord to fill me. Maybe you've never been baptized by His Spirit. Maybe you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, but you say, I, I, I want to. Maybe you're here and, and it's like, man, there was a time where I, I know that I was filled, but now I'm just, I'm running on empty and I would love to be refreshed by the presence and power of God. Uh, we're going to continue to worship, and if you want to worship in your seat, that's fine. But if you want if you want me to lay hands on you and believe for the Lord to fill you and to touch you and to anoint you even right now, I want you to step out from where you're at and just come and begin to fill these altars right now. And we're going to pray for you. We're going to believe for the Lord to fill you and to touch you and to release his anointing upon your life. So come on, come on, come on. Step out from where you're at. Come and join me down here. Come on. Holy Lord, Holy Lord.
grab by faith there's going to be some of you you're not a dreamer but you're going to begin to dream you're not a you're not a person who sees visions but but God's going to begin to show you visions maybe you've not always been sensitive to hear when the Lord speaks but you're going to begin to prophesy sons and daughters, men and women, young and old, pour out your spirit. Fill us with your fullness. Open the heavens over our life. Show us things, Lord. Show us things. just know the story, quote the verse. We want to experience you. Dwell with us, Lord. Dwell with us, Lord. You know, normally at this time, I would, I would lead us in a salvation call. But I'm going to make it really easy today. Because Jesus made it easy. All you need to do is ask him to come and dwell in your heart. That's what you need to do. If you want to be saved, if you're not right with God today, you just say, Jesus, I want you to dwell in my heart. Dwell in my life. I invite you. Tear down my house. Do what you need to do. But come and dwell. Come and live in me. Make us your dwelling place. 
not just a visitation, not just a friend for a day or two. Come, dwell forever, forever, forever. I could stay in this all day. We got another service that's going to be coming up. We're going to do this all over again. Hallelujah. You know, that's that's one thing I like about our Sunday nights in particular. Sunday morning, we run one into another into another. But Sunday nights, we really just, we want to do this kind of stuff all night. We will. It's wonderful. But I want to speak a blessing over you. I want to remind you before you all rush out of here today, uh, go check out our book table back there. Uh, If you're making a decision to get right with the Lord or something, please talk to one of our leaders. Uh, Tabitha will be back there. Eugene will be back there after the service. And uh, you make sure you talk to somebody. Get some of those cards to invite somebody to church next week. Wow. How many of you are blessed today? Wow, me too. God is good. So good. Well, let me speak a blessing over you. Would you just lift your hands all across this room? Today, I speak the blessing of God over you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Abraham was blessed in every way, may God bless you in every detail of your life. As God blessed Jacob, changing his name to Israel, may your name Christian cause you to be fruitful and multiply in all you set your hands to do. When you're tempted and tried, May you come forth victoriously just as Job, resulting in twice as much as you had before. As you raise your children in the admonition of the Lord, may they in turn grow up godly, bringing honor to your family name. When you honor God with your tithe, may financial and material blessing run you down and overtake you in every area. May the devourer be rebuked and annihilated while others rise up and call you blessed. As you wait upon the Lord, obey His word and seek Him above all else. May the blessing of strength courage, protection, and favor be your reward. May the Lord watch over and guard your going out and your coming in. Kings Kona, may the Lord bless you and keep you and shine his light upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. I bless you in the name of the Father, in the name of Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.